Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Levins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. <laughs> on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. John Bosco, the founder of the Salesians. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. It is good to be with you on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app on this Wednesday morning. The last day of January. Can you believe it? Uh, it has just uh, flown by this first month of the year. On Wednesdays, I always take a, just a quick moment to, to remind you to pray to St. Joseph. We always think of St. Joseph on Wednesdays. He's a powerful intercessor. So go to Joseph, the head of the Holy Family. Now, today is the memorial of St. John Bosco, the founder of the Salesians, named in honor of St. Francis de Sales and the Daughters of Our Lady Help of Christians. St. John Bosco was an enlightened educator, uh, dedicating his life to the welfare of young boys and girls, so he was called the Apostle of the Youth. Many of the young boys to whom uh, St. John Bosco ministered to uh, went on to become priests. In fact, one boy, Dominic Savio, would even become a canonized saint. I want to remind you that uh, Lent is right around the corner with Ash Wednesday just two weeks from today. Make your Lenten journey with your parish this year with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, sponsored in part by the National Center for Padre Pio. Uh, these free daily videos are bite-sized explorations of prayers and postures that will transform your perspective on the Mass and re-energize your parish community so you can pray, fast, and serve these 40 days with 40 lessons and with Father's weekly Eucharistic encounters. Sign up and share with your family at relevantradio.com slash Lent. That's relevantradio.com slash Lent. Want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Hey, Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines on this Wednesday morning? Well, one angle Congress is trying to take on helping things at the southern border is to remove the DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas uh, for impeachment. The vote in the House uh, to Advance the impeachment articles passed. That'll pave the way for a vote by the full House. Could come as soon as next week. And uh, some of the thoughts there include those by New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik criticizing Mayorkas and President Biden's handling of the border. Mayorkas and Joe Biden have failed the American people. And Secretary Mayorkas is responsible for the devastation and destruction and the implementation of the failed Biden border policies. And, John, he'd be the first cabinet member to be impeached if this goes through in 150 years. Yeah, it's uh, it's been something that's been brewing for quite some time, uh, Glenn, and something we've talked about here on the show in recent weeks. And um, there's uh, a lot of Republicans who feel that he is just blatantly just not told the truth uh, about the crisis at, at the border. In fact, he's said time and time again over the last uh, three years that there's no crisis, <laughs> you, know, you know, that everything is under control, that, that 
that the the, the border is okay, and obviously it it is not. Uh, we've seen anywhere between eight to ten million immigrants just flood over the border in these last three years, including over three hundred thousand in December alone. And the reason it's concerning is is because of some of the issues surrounding this crisis, like fentanyl. The fact that fentanyl has been pouring in, and Americans are dying every day from fentanyl, and uh, uh, over a hundred thousand people have been, you know, reported to have died from fentanyl. So this this is just one example. And that's not to not to mention the human trafficking and uh, just a lot of really really uh, bad stuff that's been going on uh, with this uh, crisis that Mayorkas just refuses to admit. You know, I think uh, part of the concern, too, is that this is being spread, uh, you know, as far as the, the pain from the problem uh, beyond just uh, the uh, the border, but uh, to, to big cities throughout the U.S., Chicago, New York, Denver, that have had a lot of immigrants uh, and, you know, everybody has to deal with this now. So a big humanitarian crisis, too. I mean, for the, the many millions that uh, are not up to, to no good, but just uh, there as well, trying to survive somehow. It's a tough humanitarian situation as well. Other border news as well. Uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson has criticized the bipartisan deal on the border being negotiated in the Senate uh, with uh, President Biden said to be looking at some very conservative measures in order to get a deal that would include aid to Ukraine passed. But uh, the, uh, the Senate doesn't look likely to take action there. Yeah, it's uh, been uh, described as uh, as uh, d- dead on arrival, actually. Uh, so um, we uh, continue to see how this uh, story uh, develops. Uh, meanwhile, another thing that's uh, of interest, especially uh, to parents, uh, the CEOs of the top five social media companies will uh, be uh, uh, Basically getting grilled by the U.S. Senate today about uh, child sexual abuse material on their platforms, uh, Glenn. Um, what do we know uh, about uh, this uh, this hearing? Yeah, just you know, monitor your kids' phones. That's what you need to do. But uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Meta and Linda Yucario of X expected to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Also, the heads of TikTok, Snap, and Discord have been subpoenaed. Committee Chair Dick Durbin says the goal of the hearing is to help pass some bipartisan legislation that would end child exploitation on those platforms widely used by teens and to help hold social media companies accountable. They've been able to kind of dodge any uh, responsibility up to this point. It's interesting. Uh, they they don't agree on the border, but there is a lot of uh, agreement on both sides of the aisle when it comes uh, to the threats to uh, to young people uh, with social media. So uh, that'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, Zuckerberg and, uh, and the head of the other social uh, media companies have to say today. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, and as we uh, wrap up the month of January, uh, this time of year, a great time of year to Help some of our beverages keep us warm. Thanks, Tom Hanks. Hot chocolate. <laughs> How about that? Hey, it's a National Hot Chocolate Day. <laughs> How are you going to celebrate, the Sarah? Oh, lots of marshmallows, I think. Maybe a peppermint stick if I can find a leftover one from Christmas. You never know. There's always like one that was left and, you know, shoved to the corner. Usually shoved to the corner because I'm trying to hide it from someone who's been having too many candy canes <laughs> in my house. So if I can remember where I hid them, we might still have a few. And I can drop it in my hot chocolate. You know, just every day after school, someone's asking for hot chocolate in my house. Oh, I think it's kind of cold. We should have hot chocolate. I'm like, we're in a heated house. I don't know that I buy this argument, but... 
Good day to celebrate <laughs> hot chocolate here today, last day of January. Can't believe it. Uh, a little, a little bit of um, of uh, of cream on top, whipped cream. Well, I mean, marshmallows. I think is enough, John. I mean, you want to maybe when they come to your house, you can put the Sugar marshmallows. You just add, Sugar you keep adding in, then you can hang out with them. That's good. I, you know, um, in my house, we're not going to do all of that. I think the marshmallows is enough. And you know what? If one of my sons is in charge of the marshmallows, there's so many in there. There might be more marshmallows than hot chocolate. So I mean, we need to not celebrate Marshmallow Day today. Just make sure there's some hot chocolate in the cup. Come on, hey John. I've got a, a hot chocolate sports connection for you. All right, let's hear it. And so this was my first ever Minnesota Viking game. I think I was maybe about 13 years old. You know, I went on the on the bus from a particular establishment with my aunt, who was a huge football fan, and we went to the game. And these were the days where you could actually bring stuff in. So my mom had sent along a, a thermos. I could bring it into the, the ball game, actually, a thermos of hot chocolate. But what I remember most about it, opening it up, it was really weak. It was like just warm milk. It was there wasn't much chocolate in it, so that lived on in in family folklore. The first Viking game, which was great, you know, Vikings and they they beat the Jets with Joe Namath back in the day. But uh, the hot chocolate was very weak that day, and so I mean, my dear mom, bless her soul, great lady, but uh, weak hot chocolate today. <laughs> oh man, did you were you supposed, were you supposed to shake it up? Sometimes you know you got it's all was it all settling at the bottom, or she just did not add I, enough you know, spoonfuls. That's, no, that's a great point. I mean, apparently when I was standing cheering, I wasn't holding the thermos and, and shaking it around. You know, maybe that would have helped. <laughs> Sometimes it does settle. You gotta. Don't blame your mom, Glenn. You didn't shake it. It says shake first. Come on. All right. What's the difference between hot chocolate and hot cocoa? Mm, very tiny details. I know, Glenn, you talked about this before. I don't know if you remember if, uh, the differences between the two. Yeah, we did talk about it on Hot Cocoa Day, which we said was different from, from hot chocolate. And, uh, you know, off the top of my head... They taste similar to me. <laughs> you know what? Why you do your own research, John? <laughs> that, well, you it's know, pretty the close. reason I ask is because my, my wife next buys we'll, next this, we'll this uh, Trader Joe's um, uh, cocoa, and it's unsweetened, and uh, you have to mix it with stevia and put in the put in the whipped cream on top. Okay. And it, I mean, it tastes delicious, but uh, I'm not sure if that qualifies as hot chocolate. It's actually hot cocoa. Okay, I'll tell you. This is the difference between hot cocoa and hot chocolate. Hot cocoa is in a cup. Hot chocolate is this song. This is the yeah, band baby. Hot Chocolate. So <laughs> I think we should celebrate today Hot Chocolate Hot Chocolate Day by playing a lot of their music. Let's see if we can. I'll see what I can find, and we'll try to play it today. That'll we'll do. That's the difference. All right. What 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 about? Uh, some of the cocoa and chocolate flavored cereals as kids. Did you guys ever enjoy, you know, like, uh, you know, Cocoa Puffs, for example? Oh, yeah. That's how you get chocolate milk. I didn't. Was there another way to get chocolate milk? <laughs> feed the cows chocolate or you just put the that cereal cows, in there. Yeah. yeah, I think chocolate that's what happens. Chocolate milk comes from the brown cows. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm kind of stretching here. Uh, looking for other connections to uh, National Hot Chocolate Day. Either way, enjoy it uh, while you can uh, today. It's uh, on this last day of the month of January. Hard to believe the, the month has just flown by. All right. As always, thanks, uh, Sarah and Glenn. Hey, sure thing, John. First things first, we start every single morning always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord Jesus for all of the many blessings. And we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, the Queen of Peace, as we continue to pray 
for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine. We also pray for peace in our nation, peace in our church, in our families, and in our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit here on Morning Air when we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 1 John 4.18. The beloved disciple St. John writes, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Whatever the situation, no matter how tough it may be, our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want us to live in fear. Jesus the Lord said bluntly, fear is useless. What is needed is trust. So present your fears to Jesus the Lord and be not afraid. And we always pray with great confidence from the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. As always, you can send us an email directly if you have any uh, thoughts or story ideas, whatever you might have on your mind. Always loved it to hear from you. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can also find us on social media on X, the former Twitter. Our handle is at morningairshow as well as on Facebook. Sarah, do you think at some point we're going to, you know, quit saying the former Twitter? No. You, I mean, you know, they, they the, the little bird is still on, uh, you know, on social media. That, that little bird hasn't gone away. Well, he likes the X and he's making a little nest there. But, yeah, I think we're still going to be saying that for a long time. There you go. All right. So it's uh, at Morning Air Show is our handle and uh, as well as on Facebook. All right. We need to take a, a short uh, time out as uh, we uh, will come back on the other side and go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Norona, for the latest news on the Holy Father, Pope Francis. So stay with us. There's much more to come on this Wednesday edition of Morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Where you from? You sex a thing, sex a thing, you. Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. And it's, indeed, it is time to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona from the Eternal City. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project in Rome, where they take people from knowing their faith to setting their hearts on fire with talks, tours, and spiritual direction all centered on scripture art and beauty they even have a special track to evangelize young adults visit truthandbeautyproject.com to find out how you can make your life a masterpiece in one week with john and ashley in rome buongiorno good morning ashley thanks so much for joining us once again from bella roma 
Well, hello, John. Ciao to you from the Eternal City. Well, Ashley, I see the Holy Father uh, held his Wednesday uh, papal audience uh, indoors this morning. Mm -hmm. What was the focus of Pope Francis? Yes, John, indeed. In fact, today he spoke about the sin of anger, the sin of wrath. You may recall that this is part of a series that he started on both vice and virtue, and he called wrath a dark vice. He said it has a tendency to grow out of control, but instead he's asked us all to reflect on how to actively seek peace and to seek reconciliation. So he went on to say that when someone is, is dealing with the sin of wrath, that you can recognize it. You can see it in the movements of their body or the, the way that they are aggressive, the way that they breathe in a more labored fashion, and also in, in a frowning face. And he said, the, the problem with wrath is that it doesn't give the bearer any kind of rest, any kind of respite. And he pointed out that there are some people who may be really, really pleasant and calm and compassionate to others. Or, for example, when they're at work, when they come home, they are just unbearable for their husbands and wives or children. And he said that wrath can just take over a person. It can rob a person of sleep. It can just constantly plague the mind and it can destroy relationships. And he said that the way to address this problem is to immediately seek reconciliation. And he said to look to St. Paul, St. Paul, who said they, who spoke about the importance of resolving issues immediately. In fact, before the sun sets, not to let the sun go down on anger. And he continued to speak then about the, our father and about how in the Our Father, we also have a call to forgiveness as we ask to forgive our trespasses as we forgive others. And he, he also mentioned that not every demonstration of anger is wrong because, first of all, he looked at Christ's demonstration of anger in the temple and the, and the, the reality that people were actually moved by his zeal the house of the Lord. And he said that for each of us to feel anger is a normal part of being human and of being Christian. And he said that we're not necessarily responsible for the rise of anger inside of us, but we are responsible for the way that it develops and the way that we express it. So he encouraged everyone to express anger in the correct way, reminding us that Jesus never responded to evil with evil. Instead, he asked all to seek the help of the Holy Spirit to properly manage all passions in order to turn away from wrath and to turn towards peace. And John, on that vein, Pope Francis also spoke today about the need for peace in the Middle East and Ukraine. And he spoke about the, the very obvious amount of cruelty that exists in the world today. He said that too many civilians and defenseless victims of wars are staining the earth with blood. But he mentioned to the Polish-speaking pilgrims specifically in the, in the Polish-speaking address 
that the the new year began with an invitation to build peace in the world and especially in the home in their homeland of Poland but of also in your families and in your hearts and so he reminds us all to strive for peace in our homelands in our families and in our hearts so that peace he said should not only be built on truth but in addition should require the right control of anger and also should encompass mutual forgiveness to help build what he called a civilization of love, John. Ashley, uh, what a uh, relevant message by, by the Holy Father this morning, something that I know resonates uh, in anybody's heart uh, if you listen to what he's uh, teaching uh, this morning as he continues his, his series uh, on vice and uh, virtue. How many of us have gone to confession and confessed that we were angry with uh, friends or family members or even our own spouse? Yes, exactly. And he said, yeah, that's part of life. That's part of it. But it's all about figuring out how to vent that anger because otherwise we are really handing ourselves over to the control of the devil if we cannot learn to control our own anger. Absolutely. And I think the advice of, uh, you know, don't let the sun go down. Don't go to bed at night, you know, while you're still angry is is great, very practical advice uh, that uh, that is something that we should really consider. Yes, good old St. Paul, always with practical words of wisdom, reminding us to to the, the importance of self-control, and that's something that we certainly could pray for. Well, the Holy Father, Pope Francis, has uh, some more words of, of, of wisdom. Uh, he has a, a special message uh, for uh, young people regarding uh, the teachings of the Church in UCAT, uh, the, the Youth uh, Catechism. Uh, tell us about this. Yes. In fact, a new edition of the UCAT has come out. So this is the Catechism of the Catholic Church that's written especially for adolescents and for young adults. And the Holy Father included a a special message, which he wrote, which is part of the foreword of this new edition. And it's called the Password for Joy. So a little bit of a a takeoff of uh, electronic passwords that we need to use these days in order to access various things. And he, he said that love is the primary password for joy. He said that knowing the answer, finding love, finding this password is actually inside of the catechism. That's how every young adult can determine what the password really is. And he said that's it's the duty of all people as they become adults in the faith to make Jesus Christ known to those who've not yet had the opportunity to know the faith. And they can learn how to do this in the catechism and specifically inside of the UCAT. He said that this truth has its origin in love, which is the love for Christ. And that's the love that should always be at the center of our hearts. And Pope Francis looked to his predecessor, looked to Pope Benedict XVI, who wrote in the first edition of the UCAT. I'll read to you what he wrote. He wrote, This book is compelling because it speaks to us of our very destiny and therefore concerns each of us intimately. Because of this, I ask you, study the catechism with passion and perseverance. And those words that Pope Benedict XVI wrote are so pertinent, really speaking right to the heart of young people today. Pope Francis today said that young people should read the Gospels, should read the Gospels frequently. They should pray daily. And most of all, their prayer should be to what he called transfer the attitudes of Jesus 
to their own hearts. And so therefore, the password of a truly joyful life is to look at life with the eyes of Jesus, with the same feelings, with the same attitude, John. That is a fantastic approach that I'm sure that young people can relate to, this password idea, because they're all on social media all the time. So it's definitely something that uh, uh, would resonate with with the youth. And uh, the, the password is just very simple, uh, love for Christ. I, I, I love it. It's a great message. Yes, exactly. And he said that it's easy because when we believe, when we know Christ, then we will always be in love with him. So that's our challenge, just to get to know him better day by day and to come to love him better day by day. And the UCAT is a great way for young adults and adolescents to do just that. Um, meanwhile, uh, there seems to be a problem there in the eternal city of Roma with a terrible graffiti. Uh, what is the latest, Ashley? John, you know, it's funny because this is a question that people ask my husband, John, and me all the time. How come there's so much graffiti around the city? It's such a beautiful city, and it's something that Rome doesn't doesn't want to be known for. But nevertheless, it's the reality. But there's good news, and now we can answer that question with some really good news, which is the birth of a new nonprofit association that is working to paint over the graffiti-covered walls throughout the city and throughout different neighborhoods. So this is the the this urban gen- regeneration project is called Muri Puliti. So in other words, that means simply clean walls. And it's bringing together shop owners and citizens and people of neighborhoods to work on this project. And the way they're going to do it is that when they'll paint over and then if a wall is defaced again, well, they're just going to repaint it one more time. There's also an organization, uh, another organization in Rome that's called Retake Roma. And this is made of mostly expatriates who work on removing litter, garbage, and graffiti, trying to make Rome the most beautiful it can possibly be. So hopefully... Uh, Rome is going to get a a shiny new facelift real soon, John. Well, it's not just a problem in Rome. It's in so many major cities all over the world, including here in America. So uh, kudos uh, uh, to uh, Roma for trying to uh, clean them up. Yes, exactly. I'm looking forward to see how this initiative goes. All right. Well, today is the the feast of one of my favorite uh, saints, uh, St. John Bosco, Don Bosco, that apostle of uh, the youth. How is his uh, feast day being uh, celebrated there in uh, Rome and Italy? Well, happy feast day to you. And in fact, uh, yes, it is being celebrated in a big way, as you would imagine, John. So in Turin, the city in which Don Bosco himself is entombed, uh, celebrations began back on the 25th of January with all kinds of special masses, special rosaries leading up to this feast day. And then today on the feast, the Chapel of the Relics is open to the public to come and pray at the Relics of Don Bosco. And also there was there's a special children's mass that starts in about an hour from now. There's going to be a beautiful children's choir. And then at the end, there's the blessing of all children. Then over in Modena, they also have big celebrations. 
So imagine that they do a, um, they have a big stage set up in the center of town and they will put on a play showcasing the life of Don Bosco. They're, they're going to do dances. They'll do roller skating, all kinds of activities for kids, really commemorating the love that Don Bosco had for young children. And especially, you know, he really had a gift too of encouraging young men to consider the priesthood. And so this is a day that we can also pray, especially for the growth of vocations throughout the world through the intercession of dear Saint John Bosco. Well, I got to tell you that I saw a movie a while back uh, on uh, St. John Bosco. It's called Mission to Love. Uh, that just blew me away. It was such a great movie. I cried during that movie seeing how he dealt with the young people and how he loved the, the, these wild kids uh, on the streets and how they loved him. And it was just such a mo- moving uh, a movie that uh, I was uh, recommending it to my good buddy Drew Mariani uh, yesterday. I said, you got to watch this film. Well, and John, do you remember the dream that Don Bosco had that he was a little boy, maybe he was nine or something, and he had this dream where he saw these angry kids on the street and he felt the Lord leading him to understand that the way to to deal with them was to love them. So it wasn't to be violent back. It wasn't to be hateful or mean back, but to show love. And of course, it really fits in with the catechesis that we heard today of the papal audience. He really he really is a stalwart of us all learning how to live in authentic in authentic love and Christ's humility and using that as a way to bring people to Christ. Absolutely. Uh, so much that we can learn from uh, St. John Bosco. How do, how do they say it in Italian? Oh, so Giovanni Bosco and we say Don because we say Don Bosco Don because Bosco. Don actually means it refers to a priest. So it, it, we're not calling him Don Bosco because his name is Don or Donald or something. It actually is saying Father Bosco. And it's extra special today because, of course, today is your onomastico, John. It's your patron day because since you share the same name with Giovanni Bosco, so a very happy onomastico to you. Grazie, grazie, uh, and a happy uh, feast of uh, um, Don Giovanni Bosco uh, to you as well. Grazie. Quanto sei bravo. Thank you, John. Thanks so much, uh, as always, Ashley, uh, for uh, bringing Rome to home to our listeners. Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the new Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break. When we come back, uh, Dr. Joseph Meany, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center, will be with us to discuss how Dutch doctors are euthanizing patients by starving them to death. Can you believe it? And also what the Catholic Church teaches about uh, euthanasia and assisted suicide. So stay with us as uh, Morning Air continues on this Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Everyone's a 
And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much uh, for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. You can email us directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You might want to... Jot down our number and save it on your phone if you want to be part of the program. It's 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Now, here on Morning Air, we regularly talk about the protection of life, and most of the time we're talking about the issue of abortion. But this morning we're going to talk about euthanasia, and in some countries like the Netherlands, euthanasia is being performed not only for people who are dying, but for younger people that decide that they want to die by being starved to death with the help of doctors. Joining us live from Philadelphia this morning is Dr. Joseph Meany, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center, uh, to uh, talk about how Dutch doctors are actually euthanizing patients by starving them to death and what the Catholic Church teaches about uh, euthanasia and assisted suicide. Dr. Meany uh, received his Ph.D. in bioethics from the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart in Rome. And was the director of the International Coordination for Human Life International. Good morning, Dr. Meany. Thank you so much uh, for joining us once again. Uh, it is a joy to be with you to talk about this really uh, important issue of euthanasia. Yes, thank you, John. Can you? Uh, Talk to us about how the euthanasia movement not only promotes lethal injection and assisted suicide, but now it is known as VSED, which stands for Voluntary Stop Eating and Drinking by Starving People to Death. Yeah, I mean, this, this idea first came about um, as a way to get around uh, assisted suicide laws. So the idea was uh, that individuals would kill themselves um, and just stop eating and drinking as, as the means. But of course, it's extremely painful to do so. And so then it quickly became modified to, well, we need to, to palliate their suffering, right? To give them pain medication, et cetera, to help them kill themselves. So it really became a form of assisted suicide or euthanasia. Yeah, it's really uh, uh, amazing uh, what is going on. And uh, this uh, so-called voluntary stop eating and drinking is being pushed uh, here in our country, in the U.S., by groups like uh, uh, Compassion and Choices for the Elderly. But it's also being uh, pushed uh, big time um, in the Netherlands uh, to help young people, um, not just those dying, but literally starving them to to death. Um, This is really uh, very concerning. Uh, Dr. Meany. Yeah, and I have to say, the Netherlands has always been at the forefront of all these different end-of-life euthanasia initiatives. Um, you know, uh, the the starving to death or the killing of children, uh, newborns. Um, also, the you know first country to legalize euthanasia, etc. It's it's one of those things. It's very sad. I mean, the culture of life really struggles in the Netherlands uh, because there's this attitude, really, that there are a lot of lives that are not worth living which is really contrary to what the church says. I want to invite uh, our listeners, we're going to open up the phone lines. If you have any thoughts on uh, what you just heard, these Dutch doctors starving patients uh, literally uh, to death. Uh, If you have a question about Catholic moral teaching on euthanasia and uh, what uh, the the church uh, teaches on assisted suicide, we're taking your calls for Dr. Joseph Meaning, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center at 888-914-9149. We're only going to have uh, Dr. Meany for 
for just a, a few minutes here this hour. So uh, you want to uh, jump in. It's 888-914-9149. Um, Dr. Meany, where do you think that we are as a nation on this issue of euthanasia and uh, physician-assisted suicide? Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion. I mean, one of the things that is very common now is for people to say, look, I don't want to be a burden. I, I want to uh, to live my life, to, to decide you know, everything about myself, to be completely autonomous. And, you know, all those are kind of traps because, in effect, um, this idea that we're completely autonomous is a myth, right? We all depend on other people, and that's a good thing. Uh, it's very good for us to you know, help each other out, to be what we're in solidarity with, with those who need help, but also to recognize that we all need help and that we're not all independent, you know, free individuals, but rather we belong to a community. And a community is really a community of love, right, where, where we support each other and help each other. And so this idea of, of being a burden is, is really false. Uh, we, we are all called to carry each other's burdens and, and to show love and compassion for those who need it. So I imagine the people in the Netherlands, they think that they're showing uh, love and compassion uh, with, with, the, with these laws and with these movements that, uh, that they've been pushing now for, for some time. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, the, the way that assisted suicide or euthanasia gets passed is they put in all these safeguards. They say, oh, we're only going to allow it for those who are terminally ill. You know, these people are going to be dying anyway, so we're just going to make it easier, et cetera. But of course, then it all gets expanded in all kinds of different ways. And the safeguards keep getting pulled away one by one. And as V said, this latest idea of voluntary stopping of eating and drinking is a way to get around euthanasia laws, which still have a few limitations on them. They're like, but you know, these people, we should be helping them to die. So why don't we do this? Again, it's, it's a very sad, sad commentary that instead of helping people to see that their life has meaning, they're helping people to die. Um, and, and in ways that are actually quite painful, such that they, they need to get, you know, the sedation and, and, and uh, all this pain control uh, just to, to make it happen. And then they're going to say, of course, that it's very difficult uh, for people to die this way. So why not just help them more, right, by the lethal injection, which is, which is again, the wrong solution, right? The solution of the culture of death is always quickly to kill someone rather than to give them the help and support that they need to live and, and die a natural death. Dr. Manny, can you explain uh, what is the difference between uh, the term euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide? Uh, because they are used interchangeably. Yeah, so, so euthanasia is always where the killing act is done by another person. So it's either like a lethal injection or in the case of... Um, you know, starving a person to death, you know, denying them something that they need to live. Um, then assisted suicide, essentially, is when you provide someone with the means to kill themselves and they do it. And, you know, V said it is right there in the middle, right? Because you're depriving of something that, that they need to live. Um, so it's, it's a form of involuntary, well, yeah, uh, euthanasia by omission, uh, but the person is, is you know, voluntarily doing it themselves, so it's, it's also a form of suicide. So it's kind of a blending of both, actually. Um, my understanding is that there is uh, 11 uh, jurisdictions here in, in the U.S., uh, including uh, Washington, D.C., and a number of other states uh, where assisted suicide is actually legal. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, there are attempts all over the country every year to increase that number. Uh, and of course, there are also attempts to, you know, get rid of those laws, which, which we have to 
really support. Um, and, you know, in fact, some lawsuits and other things saying, look, this goes against the right to life. This goes against uh, our, our basic principles. So, you know, there's a, there's a real pushback coming, I think, against these assisted suicide laws. But right now, um, they are being introduced all over the country. And fortunately, most states will refuse to pass them. But every once in a while, there will there'll be a state legislature that will agree. And then another, another state in the U.S. will have, you know, assisted suicide on the books and people will be tempted to do that. In addition to, to Washington, D.C., the states of California, Colorado, Oregon, Vermont, New Mexico, Maine, New Jersey, Montana, Hawaii, and Washington all um, have passed laws to legalize assisted suicide. It's extremely unfortunate uh, uh, that promoting of the culture of death. Mary is joining us uh, this morning from uh, California, from uh, Vacanville. Uh, good morning, Mary. Uh, welcome to Morning Air. You're on with Dr. Meany. Hello. Yes, um, my father, uh, and it was 2003, right in there, was uh, this happened to him at an Air Force base. Um, and it was given as the only choice for him um, to my mom and myself. And uh, it, w- it was very sad. He had uh, dementia, and he had um, he- his brain uh, really wasn't working, and that- that's what the neurologist uh, had told us. And we did believe that part. And he was on a respirator as well. And he uh, was taken off the respirator, and um, for uh, anyway, he was he was ill for two years before this, by the way. And the, but the doctor said that was the only choice. Um, the stomach tube uh, uh, keeps coming out of him. He kept pulling it out, uh, which is interesting too, because uh, his brain wasn't working. But um, they said he had a hernia. The doctor said he had a hernia, so they couldn't put a permanent one in to feed him. So he said the only way is to. Uh, take the respirator off, and he might live for a while, she said, the doctor, and he lived for 30 days, uh, no food or water, uh, just an IV, and I think it was morphine that they gave him, um, but it, it was very sad, but it's, it's very much what you're talking about, and, um, you know, rather than feeding him by the tube, which they should have been doing, and uh, I thank you for any comments you have. Yeah, no, that's such such a sad story. I mean, it's it's absolutely true, you know, that at, at the end of life, um, one has to to take particular care, you know, to keep patients comfortable and to help them, but not to do anything that would you know hasten their death, simply to hasten their death, you know, and um, th- there needs to be a, a constant search for. You know, what means can we use to save this person? Uh, what means can we use to, to keep them comfortable? And and not to be seeking out um, the person's, you know, death as an end in itself. Um, now, you know, there are certain circumstances where a person might be in terrible pain, et cetera, and you could give them, you know, very high doses of, of pain medication if, if they required it. Um, that might shorten their lives a bit, but the, the purpose of that pain medication would be, you know, to, to help them with the pain, not to, to shorten their lives. And, you know, if an individual is completely dependent on a ventilator um, and in the end, you know, they, they decide or, or their, their loved ones who love them and want what's best for them think that, you know, their, their life is being prolonged in a way that is, uh, you know, burdensome for them, then a ventilator could be withdrawn. But again, you know, that's a very, very difficult solution that has to be done not for the purpose of ending that person's life, but of, you know, reducing the burdens that they have. And I think it all goes back to the intention. 
The intention has to be, you know, to, to sue the person's burdens, to help them uh, to have a natural death, et cetera, not to hasten their death as, as the purpose itself, because that's when you start getting this kind of euthanasia attitude of, you know, this person is better off dead. We're going to we're going to make that happen as soon and as quickly as possible. Thanks so much uh, for sharing, uh, Mary. Really appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Meany, can you um, talk to us about uh, where the Catholic Church stands on this issue of euthanasia, the ethics and the morals behind euthanasia? Yeah, I mean, it it really all goes back to the, the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not kill also applies to oneself. That we're not allowed to to kill oneself to to commit suicide. One's not allowed to you know kill another person, an innocent person, and so therefore uh, we have this duty to preserve our life and our health. And um, when one rejects that gift of life from God, then one is rejecting really the most precious thing that we've received. And it's it's really a tragedy when it it's looked upon as such a burden that uh, that one doesn't want that gift of life anymore. Um, I, th- I think the main point to remember, and, and the church kind of really repeats this a lot, is that life is this precious gift, and and it's not something that we have complete and total control over. It, it's it's a gift from God that we can't reject. We have a duty to to preserve it and protect it um, using all the ordinary means. Now, extraordinary means, um, you know, that's going one step beyond, right? We could refuse something um, extraordinary that's extremely burdensome. But um, all the ordinary things to preserve our lives are, are really a duty that we have that everyone ex- instinctually does. I, I would say that it's it's almost like, you know, you get educated into thinking uh, it's okay to kill oneself or or to kill another person to relieve their burdens. That That is not what the church would say, right? That, that life is a good that has to be preserved, uh, should be preserved, as, as something very precious from God. What about um, when someone is in a so-called persistent vegetative state? What does the, the church teach in terms of keeping that person alive? Yeah, the, the person's life um, still has you know meaning and significance and dignity, uh, even if they're not conscious anymore. You know, if they're in a, they're in a coma, they're they're not responsive. Um, they're, they're still alive and, and they're still that, that same person that has, you know, dignity and, and the same right to life as, as all of us. So they, they should be given all the ordinary means uh, to maintain their lives. So feeding tube, other things that they would need to just to stay alive are absolutely required and, and the right thing to do. Um, and it's not because we've sort of lost our consciousness that we've lost our personhood. There, there's some kind of esoteric philosophers that argue that, that, you know, what makes a human a human is the fact that they can, you know, think and have consciousness and other things of that nature. What, what really makes us, you know, our, our dignity comes from our creation uh, as, as children of God. That, uh, and we don't lose that simply because we're in a, in a permanent vegetative state. Do you think um, we have learned uh, as as a society, as a, a nation, uh, from the case of Terry Schiavo back in 2005 here, nearly 20 years later? Yeah, I think that there were, were definitely very bad lessons that were taken from that. I, I still remember it kind of <laughs> sort of chills down my spine, right? But uh, presidential candidates were asked, you know, what is the, the thing that you regret the most? 
And at that point, Senator Obama said, I regret the most that I voted to save Terry Schiavo <laughs> uh, because he had done that when he was in the Senate and he had changed his mind. I, I think this view that uh, it's OK and it's really a, a good thing, right, to, to end people's suffering by killing them uh, has become very ingrained uh, in a lot of a lot of the culture, and, and I would say particularly on the West Coast, uh, as you're naming those, those states that have legalized assisted suicide, it's like the entire Western seaboard, right? California, Washington, Oregon. Um, I think the culture there has gone especially far in that direction of seeing people as burdens that, that should not be saved, but rather that the, the compassionate thing to do is to actually kill them, help them to kill themselves. We have time to squeeze in one more caller. Adam is joining us uh, from Wilmington, Ohio, uh, in the Cincinnati area. Good morning, uh, Adam. Um, welcome to Morning Air. You're on with Dr. Joseph Meany. Morning. Um, I'd heard you said, and I know you didn't probably mean to say that, but you said when the family thought maybe the patient, their family member wasn't too burdensome, that kind of made me cringe a bit. Uh, nobody is a burden, no matter what way or the other. I think the appropriate words of language to communicate would be, what is extraordinary care and what is normal care? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The, the sense of, of um, you know, the way the church talks about this is, is that ordinary care is, is absolutely normal and, and required. And extraordinary care one can discern whether one wants to do it or not because the burdens are very high on that. And therefore, one can, you know, make a, make a moral choice one way or the other. But I think that the main point is, is a very good one that you bring up, right? People have incredible dignity and, and it should be a joy to take care of them rather than to see them as, as some kind of burden that is, is a difficult thing to, bur to carry. People are, are, you know, our source of joy and, and we should be helping them really as much as we can. Dr. Meany, we're going to have to leave it right there. Really appreciate uh, you being with us to talk about this very difficult issue of euthanasia. Thanks again. Dr. Joseph Meany, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called Be the Best of Whatever You Are by Douglas Malick. If you can't be a pine on the top of the hill, be a scrub in the valley, but be the best little scrub by the side of the hill. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a bush, be a bit of grass and some highway happier make. If you can't be a muskie, then just be a bass, but be the liveliest bass in the lake. We can't all be captains. We've got to be crew. There's something for all of us here. There's big work to do and lesser to do, and the task you must do is the near. If you can't be a highway, then just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. It isn't by size that you win or fail. Be the best of whatever you are. Ephesians 4.8 It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Great message, uh, as always. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Coming up next hour...
here on Morning Air. Our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tayon, will be with us to talk about his new role as the director of vocations of the Archdiocese for Military Services, as well as the role of chaplains. Plus, a personal success coach, Dave Duran, the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media, will uh, join us to discuss career traps that people fall into. So stay with us. There is uh, much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app.